Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called New Ways of Being Alive. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March the 20th, 2016. It's the sixth Sunday in Lent, Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. A few weeks ago, the New York Times published an opinion piece that ought to be required reading for this week's Palm Sunday. It's by Kate Bowler, a 35-year-old historian at Duke Divinity School, and it's called Death, the Prosperity Gospel, and Me. Bowler was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer four months ago. It was a massive tumor and not a bad gallbladder that was causing her abdominal pain. After falling to her knees in tears and crying in the arms of her husband, one of the first thoughts she had was also, Oh God, this is so ironic. Why? Because she had recently published a book called Blessed. As a historian of Christianity, Bowler had specialized in the American prosperity gospel that promises us health, wealth, and happiness. For her book, Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel, Oxford University Press, 2013, she spent 10 years interviewing megachurch pastors, watching tele-evangelists, and listening to celebrities pray for people in wheelchairs. She joined 900 tourists on a trip to Israel with Benny Hinn. Raised on the prairies of Winnipeg, Bowler observes that even some of her own famously modest Canadian Anabaptists have bought into the idea that the right kind of faith leads to blessings. And so the word blessed is the operative idea, says Bowler. It's a shorthand for the prosperity gospel, as in, I am blessed as in hashtag blessed for Thanksgiving. For many Christians, being blessed seems to be the goal of the gospel. And so in Bowler's judgment, this gospel of prosperity and blessing has become a full-fledged American phenomenon. Of course, there's a good and proper sense of the word blessed, she observes as in a deep sense of gratitude for God's goodness. But among prosperity preachers, blessed is a reward for right faith. This narcissistic sense of blessed includes a palpable sense of entitlement, even smugness, not to mention the shaming and blaming of others who exhibit faulty faith. In other words, and as Oprah has said, there's no such thing as luck and certainly not bad luck, only a divine order that exists for my good, a quid pro quo of God's blessings for my faith. This is America, writes Bowler, where there are no setbacks, just setups. Tragedies are simply tests of character. According to the prosperity gospel, she observes, everything happens for a reason. In fact, this is what one of Bowler's neighbors assured her after knocking on her door. I'd love to hear it, said her husband, 
pardon, replies the surprised neighbor. I'd love to hear the reason my wife is dying, he responded. The prosperity gospel tries to exert order over the chaos in our lives to solve the mystery of human suffering. Because of the opposite of hashtag blessed is leaving a husband and a toddler behind, and people can't quite let themselves say it. Wow, that's horrible. And so the prosperity gospel offers people a guarantee. Follow these rules and God will reward you, heal you, restore you. The prosperity gospel holds to this illusion of control until the very end, and regardless of all evidence to the contrary. In a passage that could have been written specifically for Palm Sunday in the Passion of Our Lord, Bowler writes, The prosperity gospel has taken a religion based on the contemplation of a dying man and stripped it of its call to surrender all. Perhaps worse, it has replaced Christian faith with the most painful forms of certainty. The movement has perfected a rarefied form of America's addiction to self-rule, which denies much of our humanity, our fragile bodies, our finitude, our need to stare down our deaths at least once in a while, and be filled with dread and wonder. At some point, we must say to, sir, to ourselves, I'm going to need to let go. After a long litany of pain and sorrow, the psalmist this week surrenders his life and his illusions of self-rule to God. He writes, Into your hands I commit my spirit. My times are in your hands. Jesus' life comes to a violent end this week. There are no false promises, no easy way out, just his horrible screams about being abandoned by God. He's executed as a criminal by the Roman government. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Not my will, but yours be done. And on the cross, he quotes the psalmist for this week, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Words which the first martyr Stephen also quotes at his own execution. In the epistle this week from Philippians, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself or made himself nothing. As God's beloved Son, the sent one who reveals his love, instead of clinging to his privileged status, he surrendered his self-control to God's will. To the Corinthians, Paul uses an economic metaphor to say something similar, that although Jesus was rich, he became poor that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Following Jesus, in our poverty we experience God's presence. In our emptiness, his fullness. And so Paul instructs us this week, surrender yourself and your illusions of control. Commit your life and yourself to God. Beware of the fool's gold of false promises. Have this same attitude that was also in Christ Jesus, he writes. 
Bowler's cancer diagnosis has upended her life. She can't be certain she'll see the day her son starts elementary school. She wonders about buying books for projects that might never get finished. And so she writes, I have surrendered my favorite manifestos about having it all, managing work-life balance, and maximizing my potential. Her unexpected vulnerability and loss of control over her life have given Bowler what she calls new ways of being alive. She writes, I'm seeing my world without the Instagrammed filter of breezy certainties in perfect moments. Life is beautiful. Life is so hard. New ways of being alive? That sounds very familiar. That, in fact, is when Good Friday gives way next week to Easter Sunday. For books this week, I review a title called But You Did Not Come Back. The author is Marceline Loridan Ivins. Marceline Loridan Ivins, born in 1928, was 15 when she and her father were arrested and deported to the Nazi death camps. She to Birkenauer and he to Auschwitz, just three kilometers away. Before they were deported, at the Drancy internment camp, she told her father, we'll work over there and we'll see each other on Sundays. He replied, you might come back because you're young, but I will not come back. His grim prophecy was correct. Despite their separation, her father managed to smuggle the note to her a stained little scrap of paper, almost rectangular, torn on one end. She writes, I can see your writing slanted to the right in four or five sentences that I can no longer remember. I'm sure of one line, the very first, my darling little girl, and the last line too, your signature and name. This Holocaust memoir, originally published in France, where it's been a bestseller, is her own letter written to her father. Loredan Evans was tattooed with the number 78750 on her left arm. She lived in prison block 27B in the row closest to the crematorium, where she could see children walking to the gas chambers. She helped to build the rail line that led directly to the furnaces where those children were taken, dig the ditches for the mass graves, and sort through the mountains of clothes. She writes, I served death. I'd been its hauler. The liberation of the camps and eventual repatriation in France brought little peace. Two of her siblings committed suicide and she herself tried to take her own life twice. Loredan Evans is one of 160 people still alive out of the 2,500 who survived, from the 76,500 French Jews who were sent to Auschwitz-Birkenau. 
She says, if you only knew, all of you, how the camp remains permanently within us, it remains in all our minds and will until we die. Once again, a Holocaust memoir by Marceline Loridon Ivins. The title, But You Did Not Come Back, New York Atlantic Monthly Press, 2016. This little memoir is 100 pages long. For movies this week, I review a documentary called East of Salinas from the year 2015. Jose is a third grader at Sherwood School who was born in Mexico and now lives in Salinas, California. He's one of the two million undocumented children who live in the United States. Jose speaks perfect English. He works hard and he loves math. His mother, Maria, came to the United States 13 years ago, and she admits, I didn't know it would be so hard. In addition for caring for three children, she gets up every morning at 3 a.m., drops Jose off at the babysitter way before school begins, and then works in the Salinas lettuce field for 10 to 12 hours a day. Her husband, Jaime, does the same thing, although in his case, like about half the parents of Jose's classmates, he's a migrant worker who follows the seasonal harvests from place to place. Lucky for Jose, he has a superstar teacher named Oscar Ramos, who himself grew up working in the same fields. But Oscar graduated from UC Berkeley and now takes a lovingly paternalistic interest in his students. He says, none of us forget where we came from. At the end of this PBS documentary, you wonder what will become of Jose. He attends three different schools in a single year. As an undocumented person, he cannot apply for college financial aid or legally work for an employer. Says his mother, Maria, sometimes it seems impossibly difficult. A movie review of a PBS documentary. I watched this documentary for free at the PBS website. The title, East of Salinas. And as we approach Easter, we posted a poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins, 1844 to 1889. The title of the poem, Easter Communion. Pure fasted faces draw unto this feast God comes, all sweetness, to your Lenten lips. You striped in secret with breathtaking whips. Those crooked, rough-scored checkers may be peace to crosses meant for Jesus. You, whom the East, with draught of thin and pursuant cold, so nips. Breathe Easter now, you surged fellowships, you vigil-keepers with low flames decreased. God shall o'erbrim the measures you have spent with oil of gladness, for sackcloth and freeze and the ever-fretting shirt of punishment 
give murray threaded golden folds of ease. You scarce sheathed bones are weary of being bent. Lo, God shall strengthen all the feeble knees. Gerard Manley Hopkins, 1844 to 1889, Easter Communion. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, March the 20th, 2016. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.